Hey everyone, welcome to Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and I've suffered from depression nearly my entire life. It sucks. This is a podcast that focuses on mental health, broken down in a relatable way and told through personal experiences. P.S. I'm not a doctor, but each week my guests and I will cover everything from recognizing symptoms of anxiety and depression to providing accessible tips, tools, and resources that support mental wellness. So get your weekly prescription with me. Kat Sadler is a three-time Emmy-winning journalist with 20 years on-air experience. She is well-renowned for her work on E! Entertainment, where she spent more than a decade contributing to E! News, E! News Weekend, Daily Pop, Live from E! and hosting various network specials. After choosing to leave E! over a wage gap issue and receiving an outpouring of support, Kat became a prominent voice for the equal pay movement, championing women has always been her passion. Today, outside of TV hosting, Kat owns and operates her own production company. She created and is currently executive producing and hosting her popular podcast, It Sure Is a Beautiful Day, in association with Dear Media. Hi, Kat. How are you? So, hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. Well, first of all, thank you so much for joining me and coming on because I know you're quite busy and have so much going on. And it's really cool that you have been so supportive of, I mean, so many things, but most of all, I feel like of late mental health, your well-being, how important it is. Mm -hmm. Well, gosh, thank you. And I'm happy to take the time. And yeah, I, I... it's weird. Um, I think I've always been cognizant of my mental health and others, but just like with so many other people, I'm just giving it a lot more attention lately. And so, yeah, I'm happy to share about that journey with anybody and everybody who wants to listen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I like to kind of jump right in and I know that so many parents right now are regardless of what age their kids are, but especially I feel like the teenagers and younger with the pandemic, everything that's happening. And even though it's post pandemic, obviously the aftermath is still happening. Mm -hmm. And you've been so outspoken about your son who was diagnosed with ADHD. Mm. And I think that's really cool because I was diagnosed with it at five, was on Ritalin since then. And if you're comfortable, I would love to hear what advice you have for other parents that may have a child or someone they think maybe needs to get therapy or diagnosis. Cause I know that there's so much, I guess, you know, so many people have an opinion, (laughs) some people that have no knowledge of what they're talking about. Right. And I always, I get very angry when I hear people that are so against SSRIs or so against therapy, when maybe they've never had to deal with this one-on-one or have a family member or child. So I know there's so many people that would love to hear your thoughts on this topic. If however you want to share. Yeah. I mean, I can speak to it a, a little bit. I mean, I always, my disclaimer is always, I am no expert. All I can speak about is my personal experience. And because my son is actually 21, you know, out of respect for his privacy, I don't want to put all his business out there, but, um, 
I think the good thing is, to your point, there is so much information out there. While it may be confusing, and yes, there may be all these differing opinions on how to address ADD or ADHD, um, no matter what, it requires our attention and it deserves it's uh, it deserves our investment, however that looks. And so, you know, to be really honest, I think my other son, I have two boys, yeah. may also suffer from it. And I think I think so many children today do, and there might be a whole slew of reasons for that. But I also have some close friends who are adults who are also struggling. Like you said, you know, you you've you you yourself have experienced it. So. I think it it's not a one size fits all situation. And um, with my son, he has something called inattentive ADD. So it's kind of the opposite of being super hyper or super kind of full of energy or can't sit still in the classroom. His situation was more is more about kind of going offline and it's difficult for him to come back and be online and stay focused. So um his journey has been interesting. He was diagnosed by a developmental pediatrician, and I do think it helped him a lot with his self-esteem to kind of be able to say, oh, this is why school is hard for me, or this is why I can't remember things, and this is, you know, all these things. So it helped him to kind of give it a name. But then we, like so many people, went through the whole, do we medicate? Do we not? What can we do here? How can we help him stay more organized? How can we help give him the tools to live more optimally? And ultimately, long story short, um, he tried various medications. And again, he's older, but he he was the one who said, it's not for me. It's not for me. I don't feel like myself. Yes, maybe I can take a test better. but." he felt a little bit like an alien in his body and we tried various things. So it wasn't like we tried it and gave up right away, but he spent about six months, you know, trying different medications, trying different doses. And he just looked at me and he said, that feels like another version of myself. And I'd rather just be me. And if me comes with some challenges or shortcomings, or, you know, maybe I'm going to need more help, or maybe I won't get into a certain college or all these things. He's like, I, I just feel more comfortable in my skin without all that. So he chose and elected to, to not do that. And he's been, um, you know, clean of medication ever since, but it's funny. I just forwarded him an Instagram this morning because, you know, I always, of course, as his mother, I'm always like paying attention and trying to learn and trying to make him feel less alone in some of the challenges. And so I'm always forwarding him things and, um, try to uplift him or motivate him and all of this. Um, so we stay very connected over it. Um, but that's what we decided. Now, I also, I am personally super into the diet piece. A lot of, uh, there's a lot of research out there that how we eat and what we consume can really kind of tamper the symptoms and effects of ADD and Absolutely. ADHD. Um, however, again, I have a really stubborn boy and he's <laughs> like, I like my, he doesn't really do sodas, but he loves some fast food and he is not a great cook, nor is his mother. So <laughs> we have, we come against some challenges, um, as that goes, as that goes, but honestly, as a mom with any kid, whether it's ADD, ADHD, anything you guys might be up against communication has been the biggest piece for us. Like we just stay connected. I mean, it's my favorite thing about my boys is that 
we talk and we talk a lot and we talk about our feelings and we talk about how we feel and how, you know, what we're going through and we don't have a lot of secrets. And there's a lot of medicine in that, I think, for families. Yeah. That's interesting. You said about diet. I had Dr. Drew Ramsey, who's a psychiatrist. He has a book that's called Eating to Beat Depression. And I went off sugar recently and I was like, I'm not addicted to sugar, whatever. Meanwhile, it was, I guess I read that it's actually harder to come off sugar than cocaine. And I have been, I still, I, I'm someone that I have to be on medicine, but it really has helped my mood swings. Oh yeah. And I'm talking like just coconut sugar. Yeah. But I wasn't like a sugar crack fiend. (laughs) It's in everything. It's in everything. Whether you're a crack or you're not, it's (laughs) everywhere. I I tried, there's something called the fed up challenge for doing the 10 day, no sugar thing. Mm. I've done that several times. And then you read your labels and sometimes even it's not even in the labels. It's laced and everything. And they do say, I mean, there's like an epidemic of sugar addiction and how that robs us of so many, many things. Um, so I know that's challenging. A lot of people struggle with that. Even if you don't know you're struggling with it, it can make such a difference. I don't knock my parents for doing it. That's what they knew at the time. You know, everyone is coming. It was a different era and it was like, we have to put her on Ritalin. I had to take it every day. And I really couldn't function without, I don't take Ritalin now, but there's other SSRIs and drugs that I have to take to function. And I'm just, I'm really not myself kind of the opposite of what, you know, you were sharing with your son, which is good for people to hear because I, it really is trial by error. You have to try different things for yourself. Yes. And everyone is different. What's good for you is not good for your next door neighbor and so on and so on. And it's a process. I will say also, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like with anything, even, you know, not all doctors are created equal. All medicines are not created equal. So it's a very custom um, challenge and it takes a lot of trial and error, but I certainly feel for people. And I also love that so much research has gone into it. I actually have a friend who is a filmmaker and of course I'm forgetting the name and it's, it either just came out or it's about to come out, but she made a film about ADHD and actually how much of a superpower that can be for people. Like we talk a lot about, oh, you know, I'm not good at this or it keeps me from that or I can't sit still or all these things that, you know, people are plagued with. But there's also the thinking that, you know, this is a whole group of people that are so good and genius at what they are good at. It's almost like focus. Yes. Hyper focused. And I don't know if you feel that way, but my son. I do. Yes. And so what you do, you probably do exceedingly well because of that in many ways, right? Because like, well, it's like you can hyper, I can hyper focus if I'm interested in it and passionate about it for 72 hours. If I'm not, I'm like taking a nap. (laughs) Completely. Completely. And that I'm sure serves you and being productive and getting done what you want to do, what you were passionate about. Yeah. My son's been like building Legos and making movies since he was five. If he sits down to edit, he could do that for a week. But, you know, if it's anything about like cooking or like learning history, he's like asleep at the wheel. So oh, that history is the worst. Yeah. worst. <gasps> no, it's the worst. I, I would write down family members of people that discovered islands and things in school. I mean, it was just snoozeville. I could not focus yeah. at all, at all. 
They don't know what it is. The science of that is someone explained it to me. A doctor explained it to me that like your brain is like a computer, computer software and it's all about the processing. And there's something in our brains that when we're stimulated and we're excited or we're emotionally connecting, the software works. But if we are dulled by it and there's not some type of stimulus, then we go offline. Wow. And we're not that makes sense. Yeah. I thought that was a great kind of explanation for how that works. Have you always been good in school and good at focusing yourself? Like of being able to sort of turn your mind on. It's so funny you ask me that because I was that girl. And I remember in second grade, I was such an exception, but I was that girl. I was like, I love school. Like oh I, God. I know I drove everyone crazy. My siblings you like, Ugh. I, I think because also being a journalist, like I have such yeah. curiosity. So for me, and it served me okay throughout my career. I'm just interested in most everything because I like to learn and I like to just get information. Yeah. So I guess that made me decent at school. I wasn't like a straight A student by any stretch, but I, I liked school. Isn't that so right. weird? Until I got to college and then all I cared about were boys. So that one happened though. <laughs> well. uh, I wish I was just on a college visit with my youngest son and I was like, I would have given anything to actually pay attention in class in college. I could, I skipped class. I was like way more into, interested in the social aspect of college. Right. Well, that's okay. But I would, you are a bit of a health guru. I don't know if you would call yourself that, but you speak a lot about diet, exercise. I have definitely been on a health journey and a wellness journey. And you can't be on that journey without taking inventory of your drinking. So that is 100% true. And I have been, I don't know that I would be sober curious by definition, but I definitely think about my consumption. I definitely consider why I'm drinking when I'm drinking. And I've definitely been scaling back at this age and season in my life, because for me, you are right. I am, I really am getting off on, on health and anti-aging and what we put in our bodies and how to feel good in our skin. And I'm obsessed with supplements. And I'm like, I cannot get enough of all of these things because ultimately I just want to feel comfortable. And again, like I, I have a birthday coming up soon. I'm turning 48 and I'm like, things aren't working like they once did for me. Well, you don't look 48. We need the tips. Bless you. (laughs) I'm, I, you know, for a long time, I just kind of got by on jeans and I (laughs) lately I'm like, I really am having to be way more intentional with all of this. And, and I'm like, that does such a disservice to myself. If I'm having like 10 spicy margaritas, but then the next day I want to go and have green juice and put detoxification things. I'm investing in all these other areas of my life to be healthy. Like alcohol is poison. And so like, I've been having those conversations with myself. So I am certainly um, aware of that. And anybody and everybody in the, in the industry in the health industry will tell you like alcohol and sugar are like evil number one and two. And so I definitely consume a lot more than I used. I'm sorry. I definitely (laughs) consume a lot less than I used to. And I will say my current partner 
Um, he could care less about alcohol. He's not sober, but he just, so socially, we're just not drinking much. That's very refreshing to be, I'm sure dating someone that is not, um, passed out drunk. And I, I, it's interesting that you said that because have you read the book, not drinking tonight? No, I, she was on the podcast. It's it's, you should read it because it's interesting. It's a short book. And it also just talks about how, how to, like you were saying, sober curious, how there are these new terms and you could just say for anyone maybe that wants to sort of experiment, oh, I'm not drinking tonight. It doesn't have to be this long explanation of I'm an alcoholic. I was, my dad was an alcoholic. My grandfather, it's like, no, I'm not drinking tonight. And she talks about the history of alcohol, how it is poison, the gray matter in your brain. I was, you know, taking photos and texting my shrink. Is this true? I mean, it was very interesting. I've never been a big drinker. I mean, I will have wine and with dinner or out, but I, I just found it fascinating because sometimes when you read it, a lot of people that read the book think, oh, everyone in my life is an alcoholic. After you. Uh-huh. It's, it's interesting. Well, it, it permeates our culture mm-hmm. so much. I mean, there's so many layers to how it's marketed to us. Women in yeah. particular. She taught, you would like it. Cause she talks about that. Like in the sixties, it was like a martini while you're vacuuming for your husband and all of that. Yeah. I mean, think of how cigarettes used to be marketed. So glamorous. And then everybody finally came around. I was like, oh, maybe that's not so cute anymore. It's killing everyone. I think (laughs) I've heard that like alcohol is kind of on that same trend towards, you know, we're going to see less and less people drinking and start to realize some of the actual measurable damage it does in our lives. It doesn't have to be that you lost your job. It doesn't have to be that it broke up your relationship, mm-hmm. but there are little ways it's cutting into our, our every day that we may not even realize until we're really honest with ourselves about it. Yeah. And you mentioned your new love and I'm curious as to what has it taken? A, do you feel like this relationship is the most mentally sound or you feel, Oh, I, just feel so at ease in this relationship to feel versus others. But I, cause I'd love to get your advice or take on what does it take to be in a mentally healthy relationship? You must have a crystal ball. Because, <laughs> uh, are you over at our house? No, I'm kidding. No, like knock, knock. I'm not, I'm like coming out of the closet. <laughs> it's, it's your spot on You're spot on. I was just having this conversation earlier today. Five years ago, I would not have been ready for this. So the reason I believe that I am in a healthy relationship and, you know, going on nine months now is because I finally did the work required on myself to be able to sustain a relationship like this, to desire a relationship like this, to not get bored in a relationship like this. So, um, I was, I was in a cycle of patterns of being, um, in relationships, not with the wrong people. I was, I was like equally guilty of just misbehaving, I guess, and, and wanting the thrill of it all or the chemistry high, you know, of the highs and the lows and the, you know, a lot of therapy later, um, I got, essentially just really good at being alone and learning to love myself. So I was going through a pretty big healing process during the pandemic. And were you fresh out of a relationship then? Yes. Okay. 
yeah, I had a big breakup and, um, it was really tumultuous and I, you know, felt a lot of pain and I felt very betrayed and very deceived and all these things. But at the end of the day, it's like, why did I allow that for so long? Why was I lying to myself? Why was I, you know, I think you can lose yourself along the way. If you're in too many toxic relationships, you start to lose your own compass and you start to forget like your voice and what is true for you, because you can be on such shaky ground. You know, if you're gaslit one too many times, you forget what is true and then you don't trust yourself. And so then the longer you're in a situation like that, the less you like yourself because you're almost feeling shame about knowing better, but staying anyway. And that was kind of my situation. And so again, a lot of therapy, a lot of hot yoga, a lot of journaling, a lot of sitting with the pain and a lot of, for the first time in my adult life, being single. And I tell you, when it's a pandemic, you can't just go to the bar and meet friends, or you can't just like go out on random dates. Like, so I really got quiet and, um, and it helped me so much. And so then you learn your boundaries and you learn what you will accept in a relationship, what you won't accept. And it's interesting when I met Greg, the first date was amazing. It was long. We had tons to talk about. It was like five hour dinner, Mm -hmm. but I remember going home and telling my girlfriends, I was like, I mean, there weren't any fireworks, but I'll, I'll probably go on another date with him. You know, in the past, it's like, Oh my God. And you know, it was so hot and he's so this, and Oh my God. And I can't wait to talk to him. And I'm like sitting by my phone and that whatever that frequency is that can often lead to some of the less healthy behavior and the codependency and the clinging and the attachment, none of that. And so I actually got to be with Greg, you know, a handful of times and it was a very different approach for me. And then, you know, I also declared exactly what I wanted. I was like, I want to feel safe. I I know what's important to me. I know what I need. And, you know, and it's, it's been great because it's just such an honest and adult relationship and he's solid as a rock and there's just mutual respect and I could go on and on, but it's good. But I think that's a really good point because I've had that myself where even now, if I meet someone, I recently met someone and I was talking to my therapist about it and I'm like, well, what should I do? I mean, he, and he's like, well, why don't you try developing a friendship? And I'm like, what? I know. Yeah. He's like, why don't you try not, I'm like, uh, what are you trying to say? Like just spreading my legs or like, you know what? You get so defensive, but I think it's true. What you said of when you're in certain relationships over and over again, you think that's the norm. And then when you meet someone that's not doing that, I'm like, well, why isn't he trying to kiss me? Is he gay? Like, you know, it's like, and then I'm like, oh, did I just date a bunch of sex stuff? You start to go in your head round and round. Completely. When it's, it's, it's foreign to you. Mm -hmm. Um, but you have to ask yourself, how's it been working out so far? How's it been working out this way? Hmm, Maybe I should try something different. Yes. I had to try the the bad boys and the tats and the hotter, the better. And I tell you, I've never, I've never known a love like this where all of that stuff is just not even a part of the formula at all. It's, it's, 
I'm like, oh, this is love. I get it. That's really cool. Yeah. Thanks. Happy. That's really cool. I saw you guys, you were like, I'm shouting out to, to Raya. I was like, all right, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah. Right. Who would have known? Well, so, I, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, you made a good point where I think it's important. I talk about this a lot to write down what you're looking for. Cause sometimes when you put it on paper, you may see it and say, Oh wait, that isn't what I'm looking for. Like you may think what you're looking for is, or what you're looking for is not what you need or mm-hmm. vice versa. And sometimes it's, it's seeing it on paper for me where I think I need to make this clearer. And that's why the same person is showing up in the past or, you know, and you're supposed to stick to that list. I mean, that was the advice I forgot. I had never made those lists in the past. I was guilty. I don't know if some of your listeners are where, you know, you just out and you collide and you believe the universe is going to send you whomever. And then it's meant to be. And I'm like, wait a minute. And it's like my therapist also, and some other people were like, no, write down your top five. Like these are non-negotiable, non-negotiable. And you're right. You have to be clear on it and you have to be honest about it. Um, but then I think I listed seven things. Mm-hmm. And then I think, I think Greg hit six of the seven and we joke that it's, he's not six foot. <laughs> no. That's He's so like, funny. I'm not as tall as you want. And I'm like, that's okay. We can build with the one physical thing. That's fine. <laughs> Six out of seven is pretty good. Pretty good. So this took you to get here a lot of therapy. How long have you been in therapy or using therapy? Was it something throughout your life you always went to? Or as a child, were you in therapy? What's your background in that? My background with therapy is that I went a handful of times as a child because my mom and my stepdad were in therapy and I was brought in a couple times, um, as a kid. And I, I mean, my memories of that were fine, but it was a rather turmoil time for my parents. So I kind of knew it was like a sticky situation, but I didn't mind the therapist. And so it didn't like scar me or anything. And then when I was an adult, um, I would like dip in and out of therapy. So my mom has been in therapy her whole life. So it was never like, there was never the stigma. I wasn't afraid of therapy, but I would find that every time I would go, I'd like go. And then I just stopped going. And then I might go a little bit more and I just wasn't inspired to keep going. I wasn't seeing any like change that I could measure. Mm-hmm. But I also believe that I was playing a part in therapy. I was, I was not fully being myself and letting it all hang out. So I was kind of doing this thing that I used to be guilty of doing, which was keeping it all together. Even, even in my therapy sessions, they couldn't really kind of penetrate me because I just was too smart to let them get there. Do you know a Virgo? I'm a Virgo. Because you're like, well, I... (laughs) Keeping oh, it all together, I feel like that's a very Virgo. <laughs> time. It's very Virgo, and it's it's very child of an alcoholic. So I grew up with some of oh. that in my home, and so okay. it's like this belief that I have to have it all together to keep everything afloat and to keep everybody moving. And like I was the quote unquote cheerleader child in my family dynamic that was like, Ooh, if I can be some sunshine, then everything else won't be so bad. So I definitely suffered from that, but I'll tell you 
this recent therapy that I did for, I just completed after a year and a half of going, not just once a week, but twice a week for like the last year and a half. Um, absolutely life-changing, completely transformative. And it was because I think in part, I was in so much pain that there was no more hiding. Like I was at my lowest low that I had been at in a long time. And so I was even, dare I say, in a bit of a crisis situation that I was like calling out for help. And God, I'm so glad that I did. And that's why I'm such a, not a fan of pain, but I'm such a believer that pain can be our biggest teacher because it propels us towards expanding and growing and evolving. Mm -hmm. And if we're too comfortable all the damn time, then we're just, we're not going to be changing. We're not going to be like questioning and all of these things that I think are imperative to being this eternal student in life. And so I am grateful looking back for everything I went through was such a gift because the therapy was wonderful. Dr. Rick, shout out to Dr. Rick. He was my lifeline and he was that guy for me that I needed in a non-romantic way that was like, I've got you. Okay. If you stick with me, I am your life jacket, but I got to get you here, kid. And I, you got to stick with me, kid. And you've got to tell me everything. Like we can get better if you do the work. And I'm so, so grateful that I had the courage to do that and that he was there for me. I'm that's awesome. Yeah. Why do you think you felt as a child, like you had to be the sunshine? Oh God, that's like probably a very long answer. I don't know. And maybe a therapist would, could describe it better than me. Well, I don't know how familiar you are with, and this is, this this is by the way, therapy, psychotherapy, probably what, 30 years ago, 35 years ago. So I don't know what they're teaching now, but, um, if alcohol was, present in a family, they, they often say, and I don't know whose theory it was that like everybody takes on a certain role in a family and some children take on like the comedy, like behavior or role, because they just want everybody to laugh because it's so tense or it's upsetting or it's depressing energy in a home. If there's an alcoholic and then some kids take on they call it a hero child or like the cheerleader of the family. That's like responsible for pep, you know, sunshine, joy, take that on to make it better. Um, there's a scapegoat child. I mean, I think there's all these different labels that they used to kind of study and say was very common within these households. So my nature has been, and will always be eternally optimistic. That is in my DNA. I, I always see the glass half full. Um, so part of that is just my nature. I think like no matter what, there's a way out and no matter what, there's gotta be a brighter day. Like I always find the silver lining, but as a child in my home, that was probably of all of those labels, that would be the one I would become. Yeah. I, I think people still, I'm not sure exactly what, like you said, this methodology was, but I know people still reference those roles, like Mm. different roles that in the same way, if you have an abusive parent or a parents that are abusing each other, every child kind of puts on some kind of cape to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I think it's like a survival technique, right? Yeah. Everybody's just trying to survive sometimes if it's that turbulent. And I think that's kind of what I was doing. Right. And so now with your podcast, which actually makes sense, the title is perfect for what you're talking about. Yeah. Do you miss, this may be a loaded question, but do you miss being on the air TV wise? Because I, I want to talk about that time in your life where in 2017, you, you know, very publicly came out and said, or learned basic, I guess, that your co-host was making double your salary when you, cause you were on air at E for mm-hmm. over 10 years, right? Or 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. 12 years. Well, oh, 12 years. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what was that like? Finding, like hearing that. I know that a coworker took you in a room, you know, it was a closed meeting yeah. and yeah. shared yeah. this information, mm-hmm. which thank you to whoever she is. Mm-hmm. What, what was that like? Because I'm just getting chills thinking of how like a knife in the stomach to learn this information. Yeah. That day and that moment, it was shocking. It was a little embarrassing. It was maddening. Um, It was like a whole slew of emotions when I first heard. And then that turned into action because I thought, okay, well, information is power. So let me see what I can do with this. I'm going to ask for what I'm worth. And I'm going to at least, you know, get ballpark right uh pay and you know just what is fair and that kind of ask you know that months of negotiating or trying to negotiate and working with my agents and whatnot when that fell really flat and i knew we weren't going to get what i deserved i had to ha- you know do all of that soul searching of what do i really want to do here you know what opportunity do i have and um, again, that was no quick overnight process, but at the end of the day, um, I knew I had to take a leap of faith and bet on myself and I was ready to walk. And so I know your question started with, do you miss being on TV? And I mean, I loved my job. I loved being on TV. I saw the world. I got to cover Royal weddings in England and I got to travel to South America to film premieres. I got to go to Paris fashion week. I mean, the job was awesome. And I do miss that. I miss the thrill of just seeing the world. Mm-hmm. I do miss being in people's homes every single day, but I don't regret it. And I don't miss it to the point specifically that I was covering entertainment and I was doing entertainment news for more than just at E. I had 10 years of local news before I even got to E five days a week, the grind, the 12 hour days and all of that. So I, I mean, I've had other opportunities to return to that. And the truth is I don't want to go back. I don't, I, I'm building, I have, you know, my own studio, which you are actually seeing for the first time. I haven't debuted. I've been off social media for a month because I'm going to show everybody, but I, I have my own production company. I've been building my own studio. I've got like all the equipment and the cameras and the lighting and all these things. So I love creating my own content now and I'm just going to keep doing that. And yes, part of that will be, um, video. Cause I, yeah. I love the podcast space, well, so that's, much, but I do want to get back to that as well. I knew that obviously there must've been so many offers. And I, I thought to myself, she must just not want to go back to that space. 
or not right now or not in that capacity. That's why. Yeah, you're exactly right. All those things, like not that capacity, not every day. Like I've done that. I've done that grind. I have so enjoyed these last couple years with my kids. Like I am just like blessed. Honestly, it's another example of one of those kind of dark times in your life that really just turns into so much light. And I just, I feel so grateful. Um, but having said that again, I'm getting the itch. I've got a couple TV things that are in front of me and never say never. And, you know, case by case examination and we shall see. Was that hard to take on the role to become the poster girl or poster woman of like the wage war? Mm. Or did you feel stepping in when you step into those shoes, this feels right? No. Well, that was never my intention. Right. At all, obviously. I couldn't have imagined that the world would respond the way it did. I was just, my mind was absolutely blown. Um, it was when I started hearing from girls and women, again, in many countries, that I got so many emails and DMs and like outreach from people just saying, keep fighting the fight. Please keep using your platform. You have reach. I, this is going on in my law office. This is going on at my radio station. This is going on, you know, at my school. Why am I never getting promoted? I've been in education for 40 years. Like I just kept hearing so many stories of women across all industries that were like, please continue to speak on this. And so then I felt a real obligation and a responsibility to do just that, which, I mean, I did that whole year or two that I left after that. I mean, I was on panels, I was giving speeches, I was in marches, I was doing campaigns. Like so much of what I did was for that purpose to continue to make noise about the disparity in the workplace. And so was it weird a little because I wasn't an expert on the wage wars, you know, I, prior to it hitting me personally, I didn't know when equal payday was, you know, when it was on the calendar. So in some ways, yeah, I was like, am I, am I fit to take this on? But you know, like anything I learned, I learned so much. And then I shared that, that knowledge with other people. Yeah. Well, it was interesting. I watched an interview. I think it was the Forbes panel where you talked about, you asked them, why wasn't I getting paid as much as my co-host? And the answer was so infuriating. It's a different lens, which is like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, I, I, it's just easy, right? Like it's just easy <laughs> to like say very little and just say, well, we're kind of looking, we're, we're looking through a different lens. I mean, they had other justifications that, you know, tip for tat, whatever. It's all, it's all just, you know, corporate speak. Right. That's what it was. Right. So that's, I'm glad that you're doing your own thing. Is it different interviewing? I'm curious because I've just been doing a podcast, but is there a difference interviewing someone? What is the difference on air versus in the podcast platform? Oh my gosh. Podcasting is so loose. It's so freeing. It's so raw. It's more natural. It's like, I feel like people just are, it's, it lends itself to really meaningful conversations. Whereas TV is, 
you know, it's highly produced, it's edited down, it's, um, there's a, there's more pressure when you're working for a, a TV network or a cable channel and a big show seen around the world, because, you know, they have to sell that show and there needs to be clickbait and they need a certain headline. And so there's all these other moving parts that people don't know about. And in podcasting, especially when you work for yourself, it's like, I don't answer to anybody, you know, and this conversation is going to do well and it's going to be downloaded a lot because it's good. Not Mm -hmm. because, I mean, and that's how it's been for me. If you look at my top 10, most listened to shows, some of these are with people no one has ever heard of. So it, it's so liberating to have the the freedom and the power to go, okay, I want to interview who I want, how I want, because it speaks to me. And I know if it connects with me, it's going to resonate with the people who follow me and listen. So it's really cool. It's really different. I think it's the way content is going. It's refreshing being real. So we always end the interview with five questions. What do you do for a mental break? So many things. Hmm. <laughs> For a mental break, I step out my front door. I live in sunny California. I really am refueled by the sunshine, the palm trees, the flowers, the sounds of the birds. So I will just walk out my front door and I will take a walk for five minutes and it is completely transformative. When is the last time you cried? The last time I cried was when my boyfriend painted me. I was the subject of one of his paintings and it was the most romantic thing I think I've ever been at the receiving end of. Um, He is an artist on his phone. He does a lot of graphic design and then he takes photographs and then he layers all of these colors and then he projects it and then he paints it and he painted me and it was so beautiful. I just was so touched. Did you have any idea? Yeah. He's always... (laughs) He's always painting, but that's why it was so cool because he's been painting a lot and I didn't know he was going to paint me and then he did. And then it was just so beautiful. And then he put it on his wall. It was really, really sweet. That's cool. Uh, What are you currently reading? I am currently reading Be Water, My Friend. Um, It's by Shannon Lee, who is a producer. She's an actress. She's a martial artist. And she happens to be the daughter of legendary film star Bruce Lee. And her whole book is about his teachings really and her expanding on those. Be Water, My Friend is really about being in flow and how to get there. And it's a beautiful book full of wisdom on, you know, being fluid in life and um, really finding just joy and peace in your everyday. I'll have to check that out. That's, That's a great title for a book. Right. She's actually on my podcast this week. Um, Okay. Then you'll hear about it. (laughs) What is the best and worst advice you've been given? Oh, man. (laughs) Sometimes the best advice can be the worst advice and vice versa. (laughs) Well, hmm. I mean, I've been given so much wonderful advice, so it's really hard to pick one. But I would say one of the best was what people think of you is none of your business. I know that's a saying. It's not really advice. Do you love that one? Oh, my shrink told me that. Really? Yes. He'll be so happy. He'll be like, I told you I'm giving you good advice. Ah. He told me that like a few years ago and it did. It took me a while to start practicing it. 
you know, because I used to worry so much about what everyone else thought or what everyone else was saying. He's like, you should just think of it like it's none of your business. It's not. And I think that may come with age and just literally giving less fucks than you ever have in your life because you just don't. I'm telling you, that's one of the best things about aging is you just what a waste of energy to Mm. worry what other people are saying about you, thinking about you, judging you like God wasted a lot of time. Exactly. (laughs) All that does is prevent you from doing what you're capable of to keeping you on track for your dreams to like be more productive. So it's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing. Um, so that is wonderful advice, harder to execute, but definitely great advice. And then I, maybe not the word, I'm poor grams, my beautiful grandmother, Frida, rest in peace. When I was um, really passionate back in my younger days, I'm from Indiana, from the Midwest. And I really, my first dream was really to be in theater and to be an actress and, you know, to come to Hollywood for that. And she talked me out of it and it wasn't really advice, but she was like, you know, that's not really practical. And like, what are you going to do with that? And, you know, in many ways she was right. So I ended up studying journalism instead. Um, But yeah, I guess that was, it wasn't great to steer me away from what I really wanted to do. Um, I think that's a generational thing. So I forgive her for that. She just wanted me to do what was practical and more, uh, you know, job friendly. So I get it. But, but yeah, I'm mindful of that when, you know, my kids tell me they want to do something. I try to actually just, you know, if it's not for them, they'll find out on their own anyway. You mean you remain kind of neutral? Yeah. Yeah. Do any, do, do either of your boys want to be in the entertainment, the journalism type biz? Not, not journalism, but my oldest son, he is a movie Oh yeah. Through and through. He's been making stop motion. He's had, he's like in how to YouTube channel and he was seven. He's now 21. He's in LA film school and he's been making movies his whole life. So he was one of those rare people who knew what he was called to do. And he's been doing it ever since. That's awesome. Not so sure yet. Um, and then what Instagram account do you find uplifting? If any, So many, I follow so many of the just inspirational quote, you know, driven, um, accounts that just are constantly putting affirmations out there for us to read. I read so many of those. Um, what is her name? Let me look real quick because I I literally follow so many and I'm thinking of one. I want to say it's the holistic Dr. Nicole LaPera. Have you heard of her? She wrote a fascinating book. Um, What is her book called? Because I have it. Oh, here it is. How to Do the Work is the name of her book. That was one of the books I read in my healing. I've heard of. I don't, I'm not always the best remembering names, but yes, I've, I've heard the book is really good. Her Instagram account is the holistic psychologist and she's just constantly putting out like little bite-sized things to think about. And she is a therapist. So for any of your listeners who maybe (laughs) can't afford therapy or don't want to commit, like it's a great account to like really start thinking about things. Yeah. To like dip your toe in. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's, that's it girl. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. Thank you, Kat Sadler for joining me. Where can our listeners find you? 
You can catch me on my podcast hosting that show. It sure is a beautiful day. There's a brand new episode every single Tuesday, and that's wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am on Instagram a lot. Again, I took a social media break there for a while this summer, but I'm back. And that handle is I am Kat Sadler. I also have a website called thecatwalk.com and more to come, more to come, but it's all kind of funneled through those three things. That's all folks. Be sure to subscribe to Ben Better HBU. We can be found wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and be sure to subscribe, rate and comment and tune in next time. Thank you for tuning in to Ben Better. How about you? To learn more, please visit benbetterhbu.com and check out our Instagram, bbhbu. Slide into our DMs with your questions and or comments. Also, be sure to subscribe for your weekly prescription. This pharmacy is open 24-7.